I like the scenario test because I think that's that's a, a bigger picture thing which yeah. fits perfectly with what we do as a business. And I personally like watching that part of the process because there's no well there is right and wrong answers, but there's so many different solutions to what we're asking. Yeah. I enjoy watching what like people squirm. Welcome to the podcast. If recruitment isn't easy, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Um, with me today is Chris. Hello, hello. And Dean. Good afternoon. So you've you've both done a little bit of recruiting in your time. I've I've interviewed a few people and been in, in interviews, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> no, I, I got here be. eventually. <laughs> you, um, had a, you had to work for this job. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I'd have just let you in. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> we did. Um, <laughs> he just he's just been turning up ever since yeah. um yeah but what so what's uh what's the secret to hiring great people this is a massive clickbait spoiler now because there isn't one and i think like people think like you can just hire great people every time but you can't the reality is like for every three people on average that you hire you're probably gonna get one person who's fantastic one person who is average and but you know could develop into someone fantastic and one that's you know below average perhaps poor performer and that's completely normal like a lot of businesses like get confused and try to like hire fantastic people every single time and it just does not work because no matter whether you have like a five-stage interview and you do like the psychometric tests and you do all these different things and the testing and some on the job stuff you're just not going to see you know, the real side of the candidate until they're actually in the post. So yes, those things will help give you a marginal gain. But the reality is that you're still sometimes going to make mistakes. And that can be really tough, but it's that's just what recruitment is like. I think you just got to do the best you can to protect yourself from those kind of issues. Yeah. You say you say there's a like there's a good chance that you don't know who who that person is until they get in the role, but there's also a little bit of warm up time as well that yeah. they they may take to get used to being in the role and get used to being in a new situation as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess like every business that you work in is going to be different. I think the thing is as well, like um, just because someone's been a top performer in another business, doesn't mean that they'll be a top performer in your business. Mm. Because in some organisations, the culture is perhaps more supportive of that those individuals like character traits. And they can really they can elevate someone who might be average into being a top performer, but if they come somewhere where the culture is different, then actually what where they could have been a top performer in the previous business because they had a right culture mix for them, and and it might not be that there's a it's a case of like a good or bad culture. It's just that one culture was more supportive of that individual than another, and you might find that they just don't perform the same when they come to work in your organisation. Um, that's not always the case, but I think sometimes that that might be the case with hiring people. Do you have anything to, to say on the matter? I concur. <laughs> uh, I think he's <laughs> hit the nail on the head a bit. Uh, yeah. It's can be so hit or miss. Um, I like to think I've kind of got a, a good read on people, which can be the, I, I think is the most important part of it. We'll, we'll get into it too. Obviously we're, we're talking about recruiting tech people. Um, but yeah, getting the right uh, recruitment is easy, right? Finding the right person is so much harder. Yeah. Like you can go out and hire somebody these days in minutes, but 
are they going to be the right person? Mm. Chris says one in three. <laughs> um, Do you think that one in three is fair? Like eight. Is that is that one in three of the people that have gotten past your layers of yeah? Um, so like people actually in on average, not not it's not to say like because we were talking before we start recording, like uh, in the team of three, like and it's I don't think it's quite like that. It's more like an average, like if yeah. you did three times that and had nine, there could potentially be three people who, and it might not be that they're so bad that you need to do something so that they no longer work in the business, but. You know, the bottom three, it might not be that that's the case, but they're just probably not performing as well as they really aren't to be for working in the business. Do you think that's that's fair? I mean, it's... Okay, this is going to come across as, like, really harsh, but I think some organisations tolerate people being, like, not that good. I, I can see that happening, yeah. There's so, like, so many aspects that you could drill into of what might make it like like you were saying is the environment not what they used to is the person they're working for not what they used to has the person who is the person who recruited them in the first place not picked up on stuff that shouldn't have been that might have been a red flag to somebody else while recruiting them is the person for us in the tech bit that I've always say is for me, there's a very fine line of where I want people to be. Like, I don't want somebody to come in who, sometimes I might want somebody to come in who knows absolutely everything. But then I always think, if they already know everything, how, you know, are they going to be happy about getting up and coming to, coming to work for us every day? Like, is it going to be intrigued enough, interested enough, if they already know everything? Whereas somebody who's coming in and learning every day and loves what they're doing while doing it. I like that mix of somebody, but then when to get that mix, you need the person who, when you teach something, I like people who, when I, when I tell them something or show them something, they don't come and ask the same thing tomorrow or the day after. Mm -hmm. So getting, there's so many different things to a person and them fitting in to a job. Yeah, you, you're never going to get, it's rare that you get the perfect blend of absolutely everything. So I suppose if we if we talk about our recruitment process and like what we've done, do you want to, do you want to walk us through what we've been doing on the technical side for recruitment? Uh, so we've, well, I've been going through, well, the same process that Chris used to get me in, a uh, bit of a, an informal chat to begin with, um, kind of getting the, their background, getting the run through their CV, previous experience, what, they, what they've what they done, what they kind of want to be doing, what they're interested in. A um, couple of technical questions thrown in early doors just to kind of gauge where they're at with that. Um, and then it's harder on the phone to pick up whether somebody knows or doesn't know what they're, talking about it's easy to bullshit yeah and and throw in buzzwords off their cv does that include a a sort of a a video call okay as well um no we've not i've not done video calls yet i'm not against them um so it might be something that i'd i i think like 
that body language and like some of the minutiae of like the way people behave, like it's quite hard to pick up on on video call for an interview perspective. And I don't, not, not, that's not to say I'm sat there studying someone's body language when we interview because I, I really don't. But the, I guess the sort of the like subconsciously, yeah, maybe I don't feel like I'm getting to know the person properly. Yeah, like, there's not know. there's not a big jump, like the jump from doing a phone call to a video call when they're sat in their comfortable environment to them being in our environment in our room and put under our pressure is, is a lot, it's, it's a much bigger jump. So it's easier to, they kind of come out there. They have to come out of the shell a little bit. And, yeah. but then, so, you know, you mentioned the informal chat, like what at that point in terms of technical screening, are we doing if any? So I like to drill in a bit more to the CVs, especially, I mean, some people have it on there. Um, and I like to think my CV is okay. It got me to here. Um, but I don't just like listing stuff on my CV of what I'm good at. I like to use, like to put examples in there of what I've actually done with the skills of a particular product or whatever. So if I like to talk about that with people as well. So I like to, I like to know what they've worked on in like you know, obviously VMware is a is a big one. Like yeah. people to at least have had a little bit of exposure to or knowledge of not just what knowledge they've got of it, but how they've used it and why and when and not just for VMware but for other things and and how they've I guess how they got to where they are with that particular piece of just technology as well. Yeah, yeah, I like to ask. Yeah, and not just be like, oh, I see, I see you've got a bullet point that says VMware on your CV. Like, I, I like to drill into it and yeah. figure out what it is they actually... Yeah, like, did you... Yeah. I suppose it's listening for, like, those prompts that indicate that actually you've got someone who, like, knows the ins and outs and perhaps was quite close to it. Because, I mean, we know from experience, like, some people will say, oh, well, I've, I've built an environment of Hyper-V. And actually, it transpires that they just installed the role, and actually, there wasn't really any setup involved, and they've made it out to be something perhaps more than it is on the CV. Yeah. Whereas we, that's the same for installing VMware. It's a yeah, USB stick. And if I if, if I if I give you a bare bones metal box and a USB stick, I reckon you'd figure it out. It might take you a day. No, I, I reckon Michael get it done in a few hours. Do you reckon? Easy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know it's download things from the There you go, you see. That's yeah. nice. can Google it. You don't have to do that, but I've already put it on a USB stick for you. It's already Fantastic. there, ready to go. So just yeah. install. Click yeah. on the click the mouse, left mouse button. Well, it might be a small issue with that. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's not <laughs> don't quite get a mouse at that point. Um if you do, you're you probably press the wrong <laughs> key. Uh, <laughs> and you're in the BIOS and you're writing stuff. Um but yeah, yeah drilled out at that because a lot of people have it listed and we've had it again like Chris said where I've deployed multiple like vCenter environments and I've done this you've installed a few hosts yeah and installed vCenter and then brought the hosts into vCenter that's the very like basics of it so yeah I like to really get kind of questions going about why or well, how and why they they use it and, and, and listen for 
the tells and dig into where they mention it, where they where they use buzzwords, question, yeah, the more on the on them, just to really drill into that sort of understanding technically yeah. and and at that point, are you technically scoring them in any way on those initial calls, or is it very much like a, it's a gut feel really with a view to a second stage? Yeah, I don't really have a scoring system yeah. um, as such, but yeah, I kind but, of get a. A mental checklist. We actually used to. We used to do um, that first call. We'd grade some stuff, but it's. I think a lot of that is best done over the face-to-face piece, anyway. People um, applying for a job that's kind of seen as a let's say as a, a sideways step would be a flag straight away for me. Mm-hmm. So I'd question that to begin with. If somebody was a support analyst and they were applying for a job for a support analyst, I'd be like, "Well, why?" But then the other side of that with whether not and they're going for the infrastructure a more of an infrastructure role, let's say if as a uh, which is a kind of a general next step in our world yeah. um there's got to be that leniency of there might be what was it before there might be aware of vmware and how it all works and how it all brings stuff together depending on where they've come from there might be you know i, I came from a a role well, a few years ago, I was in a role as a support analyst on a support desk where I knew what all this stuff was. But because of the role and the environment, I didn't really have access to any of it. That wasn't yeah. within my remit, but I knew it enough to go to the next place and and sell myself and yeah. get to that point. So it's it's figuring that out. But yeah, I don't I don't think I like to bring probably more than not if I've picked up from something on their CV and had a call with them. I think generally for me it seems to go down the route of I want to bring them in for a second stage because I get to know the the person side more. And like I said, the, the, if it's a, a very visible um, step forward in their career for them and they're not somebody who knows everything that you need them to know, I get to know that person side of things of what I was saying earlier. Are they the, do they seem to be the type of person who picks stuff up? They do. Yeah. Do they do? You can ask all the other questions. I like, we like to ask them yeah. what they do for outside of IT. What to do with IT isn't like. Do they listen to podcasts? I know Chris asked that one. Do, do they, what's what do they do for self study? Like any kind of things yeah. outside of that. Which so if you think so, we we use a recruiter and they post the job. They get there. They potentially, let's say they get 100, 150 applications for a role. They filter those as best they can and perhaps end up with, let's say, I don't know, I'd say probably like 10 CVs maybe out of that. If you got a pile of 10 CVs from a recruiter, how many do you think you'd progress to face-to-face out of that? No more than half. No more than half. I just think it's it's lower than that perhaps, like maybe as few as three out of like 10, a shortlist of 10, maybe even two, like it's... Because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of. I personally feel there's a lot of talent in the market. Well, there's a lot of candidates in the market, and actually, out of those candidates, there's a very, very limited number that are right for the role that we are advertising. Because it's it's really hands on, like it's behind the curtain, as we sort of have made, I've said before. It's you've got to play with all the tech that's behind the scenes, and you've got to know it, or be able to know it and be able to learn it and I think that's that's the that for me is like what thins that pool down quite significantly and I think 
the more keywords you have and the more things you're looking for, the smaller and smaller that talent pool gets. Yeah. So when we, we bring them in for the face-to-face -face interview, what does that sort of process look like if we're hiring for an infrastructure engineer? Like what's And what components of that do you think are delivering beyond marginal gains for our recruitment process? So we'll start the next, I guess the next part of the process, the face-to-face. -face. We always start with uh, scenario-based questions. So we have a, I'll not give too much information away in case no, any potential candidates are listening. Yep. Um, but we have a, basically a scenario where a customer's got X amount of locations and looking to move stuff to um, cloud. And basically we want them to kind of, we let them do a little whiteboard session, um, draw out, uh, you know, an architect, a, a network, um, kind of infrastructure build, um, how they would best build it from what they've read. You know, it's only a, a couple of paragraphs worth of information, but to see how well they, they take any information from, from that um, and how well they're able to portray their ideas and obviously whether their ideas are decent or not. Yeah. Because um, that's, although it's a, it can be, it can be, it, it feels harsh when you get somebody in and they, they might not be, like I said, they might have come from a role where they're just doing support and they've never had to think about anything like, like that. But the right type of person that we particularly are, will be looking for is the, somebody who's gone and, maybe done that kind of research and at least researched us enough to know that that's kind of what we do. I guess all that. Yeah. I suppose, I suppose picture is on our website of that's, that's what we do. We, we yeah. build environments for customers. And do you know what's so strange about that first part of that test? Like, I can't tell you how many times, like, cause we will brief them and say like, here's the, the piece of paper with the scenario on that we'd like you to talk about or, or draw um, you've got 15, 20 minutes. And I always say to the, the candidates, look, please, if you know a particular piece of technology, please stick to what you know um, and do it all on stuff that you're comfortable talking about. So, you know, if they know Azure, do it in Azure. If they know Hyper-V, do it in Hyper-V. If they know VMware, do it in VMware. I can't tell you how many times I'd be like, so I'll pick up on stuff like in the design that perhaps isn't quite right. And ask the candidate their opinion, like why they think that that might be the right type of solution. And often they'll be like, I don't know. And I'll say, well, have you used this this technology before? Oh, no, never used it. And I, I just don't, like when they're, you know, there's, in that scenario, it's just, we, I think we'd much rather like you kept it simple in a world that you understood and you could explain it. Yeah. And because we, we want to just see that you can translate that brief into a solution, no matter, really, no matter how you put it together. Yeah. If there's, yeah, if, if somebody could... I could stand there and draw like a, a whole thing using 10 components. If they do it with four, but they know them four very well yeah. and are not trying to oversell themselves, it comes across better than them. Like you said, being like, oh, no, I've just, I've just heard the buzzword. Yeah. Put it in here that I don't really understand. Or Yeah. I think the one thing that we've done, which has been, it's been quite good for us actually, is like the, the standardized technical test. So irrelevant of candidate level, whether we're recruiting for what is effectively quite a junior role or a senior role, like having a bunch of like 
what are quite difficult questions for the majority of candidates? Because I think it, it really shows how you can think under and problem solve under pressure. And what I guess what we're sort of looking for there, there as well is someone that can say, I, I think I know what the answer is. I think it might be this, but I'm not 100%. But ultimately, we don't want someone that's going to bullshit us. Because it's at that point, we need to make sure they're going to put their hand up and you know, if, that, if they were employed. And three months later, they come across a situation where like, I don't know anything about this. And this, they perceive that it might have some sort of risk. And actually for them to go, you know what? I'm going to, hey, can someone help me with this? Because I'm stuck. We don't want them going off and, you know, pretending they know it and actually causing us more damage. Yeah. Because like the, the, the scenario test... I was saying you get, you know, it's a couple of paragraphs worth of text on a piece of paper and they've got to go and put something on a whiteboard. It's just another form of picking up the phone, somebody spitting a couple of paragraphs worth of issues at you and you've got to then find your way to a resolution, yep. which is a big part of our job. We look after our customers and their issues. So although it's done in a bit more of a stressful manner, Yep. And with a few sets of beady eyes watching them. <laughs> it's the same principle of what we're trying to... Like I said, and even with the technical questions that we have, that's the next stage. We're yep. not done on technical questioning yet. Yep. Um, it's the same. Like We have, we have some in there that well, I didn't get all of them right. But yeah, I'm just uh, like, I've never used that before. So, But I'm then happy enough that I'm not the person that I said earlier, I don't want to recruit the person who knows absolutely everything anyway because they're going to come in and learn nothing. Mm, We're going to get three months down the road and go, need to fund this. Yeah, absolutely. So the, I think obviously you touched on it there about the the final stage of the the technical interview process because there's a, you sort of got your, your scenario, your technical questions of all different manners. And then we get in sort of bits of the general like non-IT, you know, what that's do outside of work and hobbies, interests, podcasts, etc. Um, just trying to like make sure that they're a good fit for the team and that they'll they'll fit in and integrate well. But then also that last piece, which is the it's only to myself, it's only something we started doing like the last six months, but can you tell us about the the sort of the final stage of the interview? Oh, the the bit that I done. Yeah. Right, yeah, okay. Because yeah. um, we only put that in recently, you see, like yeah, confuse them it's, because we've never actually done it. We've not done it with anyone else since. We haven't done anyone since, have we? But that's that lab is. So, for example, like when we hired Whiskey, we actually we had to do a custom lab just for him. But I, I actually think that the lab makes a massive difference in the recruitment process. I'll tell you why because we we interviewed a couple of candidates. This going back quite some time, like in the, probably in the last like probably like six months before we we, we spoke to you during our last round of recruitment. And some people had they, that they knew VMware inside out on their CV and that they were experts. And they certainly, like when we were talking to them, came across right, really knowledgeable. But I didn't really get into any of the detail to test any of that knowledge. It was all very high level. And then when they came in and took the actual VMware practical with us, which is a couple of scenarios, and the questions are designed to trip people up. Like we, we purposely, it says do one thing and actually... Yeah. We know you're going to run into an error when you do that, and we're looking to see how you troubleshoot that. And some of them are simple, some of them are not so simple, and you might need to have come across them previously to be able to get them right. But for me, that's 
the amount of people that like think it's a fantastic interview. Yeah, okay, some of the technical questions I didn't get quite right, but actually we, we were pleased with how they handled the ones they didn't know the answers to. When it gets to the technical test, bear in mind they've, they've got VMware expert written on their CV, and they can't answer some of which can be quite simple questions about VMware when they're actually faced with a hands-on practical lab. But that should be that should be their element because if they're an expert, they should live in that console all day long and know how to do these simple tasks. Yeah, see, that can be, um, I don't know the exact word, but like, you know, like exam mentality kind of. Yeah. Anyone, anyone can go and do six months worth of watching videos and reading books and doing practice tests until you've memorized all the answers and go get a VCP. Real world, when the proverbial hits the fan and knowing where you have to look and to start troubleshooting stuff is completely different to just learning text and being able to, and the, and the, the question part of it and coming in and designing something fits into that part of it very well. If they've read a book for the last yeah. six months about how VMware works, they should be able do to you, come in and talk about VMware. Do you know what I think some of that is? It's muscle memory. Yeah. It's like when you do it every day for your job, you just know instinctively like where certain, even if like we didn't perhaps quite know where a certain setting was, we'd have a pretty good idea which submenu it would be in because it's that muscle memory of using the console every day. Yeah, I think, so the, uh, what your question, the bit, the bit I remember of it, I remember being stressful. <laughs> really? Yeah. That bad? Well, you, do we you, do it remotely? You can't, you, yeah, you're, you're crap at reading people over video calls, so. It uh, I, that's why I, didn't, I that literally way. didn't yeah. pick up on that. Yeah, I was uh, I breezed through it. Yeah. Um, but it's more, it's the steps. It's not just, some of the questions are not just a kind of A to B. There's an A, B, C and a D. You've got to know where you're going to get the next part of the answer. Yeah. Whereas one of them is a spoiler alert. It's like a, this, this VM is powered off. Please power it on. And the look on his face when he asked me to do that, I was like, right, that's not going <laughs> to yeah. be as simple as you've just... Yeah, because when I... When it's like, power it on. Is this guy for real? How simple is this job? And I, I just, I always smile because like that question, it just sounds like it's going to be so, so easy. But of course, like it's not really a proper technical test if all you have to do is power a virtual machine on. That's like level, that's like first line stuff. And then it comes up with a big error and you have to go and debug why it's got an error. Um, and that's, yeah, that's part of the technical. And in fact, I see a lot of the questions quite like that. Like, yeah, there's a, yeah, this thing happens, turn the VM off and then you can't turn the VM off for some reason. Yeah. There was about four or five, wasn't there? Yeah. The lab has a, a powered on VM and a powered off VM. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something wrong with one of the VM keys on one of them. We're going to have yeah, to change it after yeah. this. We'll have to change it now. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, but, we'll, no, we'll we'll change it when we find somebody to put through at that stage. So do um, you, <laughs> yeah. So do you think of that that sort of second stage? I was like, we talk about the theory of like marginal gains, like where you get like the one or two percent performance improvement of like a process or a, like a component of the organization. Do you think that? Like, what do you think has the biggest impact in terms of that? If you had to rank them during that face-to-face, where are we getting the biggest bang for our buck, the biggest win in percentage terms? Which part of the process? Yeah, which part of the process is is adding the most value to our recruitment screening? I I like the scenario test because I think being able to just, that's that's a, a bigger picture thing 
which yeah. fits perfectly with what we do as a business. Yeah. Um, and I personally like watching that side of that part of the process because there's no, well, there is right and wrong answers, but there's so many different solutions to what we're asking. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I enjoy watching what, like people squirm and uh, <laughs> what, yeah, we've what had, we've had what some, some really good ones for that. Uh, I wish I could say, but we haven't. Yeah, we that scenario test, like the amount of times we've seen some really awful designs. Like, spoiler alert, uh, missing all of the components that we require in the overview. Yeah, like not accounting for simple bits that are missing. And that can kind of be an in, like one thing there is like, is that an indicator of limited attention to detail, which it could be potentially. Yeah, the the one thing that always stands out for me is I've I'm not a networking genius, but I know enough about networking to understand how infrastructure hangs together because you know all you need to know about how servers work and and whatnot, but the underlying how everything works from the networking side of things. And that's the bit that I look for more on the thing because we've had somewhere they'll just draw a cloud icon. Oh, I'm going to put it in the cloud. And they'll just have a line drawn to another place, like a physical on-site. And I'm like, what is that line? And they're like, oh, it's just um, just a connection. That's not how it works then. Uh, it's, it's, it's I've more, been drawing it's more, lines it's, to yeah. clouds the whole time I've been there. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, little bit more than a line. Sometimes Hold on. you've inserted characters into <laughs> things with lines in eating Sometimes other it's, lines. It's, it's three, it's lines. three arced lines eating other lines. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's understanding that bit. You can you remember mine? You should have took a picture. Uh, it was. Uh, I should have said it was a Mona Lisa. It was yeah. a work of art. <laughs> I've not seen anything like it since, because there's been no interviews since. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's gotten that far no one's got that far yeah dean screened them all well that's true actually i mean last time we had a bunch of cvs that got past the recruiter probably over 100 applications for that role you got seven or eight to screen after that and actually screen them down to i think one and then that person no showed yeah i've had well no. we've had quite a few through we had a we did have a batch of like 10 yeah. i think cvs and one of the yeah, one of them I picked out, so and he failed the first part of what what would have been his new job and didn't answer the phone. Oh dear! <laughs> so I mean that's an interesting kind of segue into like recruitment and sort of the the current pitfalls that I mean we've got a recruitment charge at the moment. Which I, mean, I think every business to a certain extent struggles with recruitment is of finding great people, but I feel like over the past six months it's got worse than it's ever been and there's this great there's this huge thing in america at the moment which is about called the great resignation and it's about a large number of people that have realized that they like home working and or flexible working or more time with family whatever it might be and there's been a significant number of people that just resigned from employment to go and start their own business and when it comes to like here for example on the current issue we see which is some of it, I think, is like velocity, like it's candidates entering the market, leaving very, very quickly. I think perhaps it's concerns around COVID, maybe. I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, what 
What do you think is impacting the recruitment market at the moment in technology and in particular in the north of England? On the technology side of things, I think did we I think we touched on it in another episode about the did we? Or was it just a chat? I don't know. It was the, in here. About the whole The homeworking thing. Well, homeworking and then if they're not homeworking, they want their tech office to have a slide and a ball pit and free yeah. food. Yeah. And every, everything everything yeah, everything that's right. on um right, scrub ball pit, scrub slide, cancel them. Yeah. Turns out we don't need them. Alright. I mean I'd like one. Oh, okay. Cancel that. Tick, tick. Bouncy castle. <laughs> We're currently sat upstairs, and um, to get downstairs, it would be a lot easier if we had a slide. Fireman's pole. Fireman's pole, yeah. yeah. Oh, nah. Bit cringy. <laughs> Just, nah. <laughs> Not during COVID anyway, no. No, because you'd have that, like, you know that awful sound of someone like coming down a pole really slowly. Yeah, I'm not going to try and do it. But don't they just put that in in films? They <laughs> add that sound on. I don't think. It do they really not happens. add? You're the film. You're the media yeah, yeah, yeah. person. Do they not add every sound to a film? Pretty much. Aren't most you know, of them shot you know, in computers silence. Computers make noises in films, and they don't in real life. Not really. Some keyboards in era. <laughs> Mind blown. Right. Yeah. Sure, there's like loads of stuff that's actually yeah, shot whisk, in silence. Whiskey's keyboard is, uh, is yeah. quite loud. And they add in every, pretty much every sound. Yeah, they do, I think. That, that, isn't, whole, that isn't dialogue. Whole divisions down yeah. to that, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, um, I think that's a big thing. Um, obviously, working from home has just took over because people are, I reckon, high high out of tens, like, with, like the sevens, eights, even nine out of tens are, why am I going to an office, especially in the tech world? And when especially you, in when you say seven and eights, is that is that a candidate score or is that just is that percentile? Yeah, like number of people yeah, who yeah. So it's, I, I was I was doing it. So when I was um scouring the market or being headhunted by the market, which sounds better, um I was We'll leave one of those in. Yeah. I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can choose. Um I begged for this job. Uh, I was so adamant that I wanted to work from home because I've been working from home for two and a half years or whatever, like from before COVID. Yeah. I was doing two, th- maybe three, sometimes four days a week from home building different working from home environments. So I just found it easier, but very relaxed business where I came from on that side of things. So that was good. Um, I was so set in my mind that what for my particular role, knowing that probably where I'm applying for isn't going to have their IT in the cupboard. It was going to be in a data center somewhere. What difference does it make if I'm sat here or at home or in Starbucks or McDonald's? Yep. So I was so like, I'm not, I'm not traveling 50 miles a day to get into an office when I could do absolutely everything from the comfort of my own home. And then this gem of a job came along. Thanks, Dean. Had a discussion about it with our recruiter. And I mean, location-wise, obviously, I was very lucky, which was a big thing for me. So as soon as I found out it was five days in the office, location-wise, if this was 50 miles away, probably wouldn't have bothered. 
because that's a big thing. No one wants to add two hours onto the day yeah. for just for traveling. I'm so, literally... so I suppose the, you're saying there is that effectively the, the no home working probably is affecting our candidate pool. Is that fair to say? I would I would say yeah. it, it definitely is. There's still yeah. I think I think there's still plenty of candidates out there, but yeah, I I, I think it is, but it's not something I agree with why we're doing it. Yeah, and I'm yeah, happy yeah. to be here five days a week. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, for me, it, it flipped instantly when I knew about the job and the company and what I was, you know, potentially going to be doing. Um, it was just like actually, when I took a step back and thought about it personal level i hated working at home full time because yeah. i was in a very siloed role and i love being in here and talking to people and interacting sure. with humans for a, which anyone who knows me who might listen to this on a personal level will probably be like what well, doesn't he doesn't interact with humans well, <laughs> i've known him for 30 years and he's <laughs> hates humans that's so, why he works in it so do you think that yeah, we, we talk about obviously the impact that things have to our like addressable market in terms of like candidates and finding the right people. I mean, one thing I've seen is salary banding. Like I think back to like five, seven years ago when you could recruit, you know, 18K a year and get like some people that you can really develop and turn into fantastic members of the team. And then even your sort of experienced engineers would be like 32, 34K would be like quite top end for some like, maybe even like some second line and third line type engineers. And now like we can be, you know, one and a half times that, two times that in some cases. And what do you think is driving the like significant increase in salary? Is it is it a shortage of good talent perhaps or is it, this sort of fabled northern powerhouse. What I think it, it, it could have the working from home thing could have a, a decent impact on it. Yeah, because in driving spoke, it down we, or up, up. We spoke about the other day how companies closing offices. Yeah, you're not going an instant, you know, decent sized office in a decent location. You're not going half a million quid off your yeah yeah off yeah. your expenses for a company. So if you want to spend it somewhere. To put it into your people and be able to offer yeah that thing if you're offering the working from home for that reason you've got the money in the in the yeah. pot to be able to offer more and you know you're not having to all the other stuff of i'd if it was a working from home job i'd have said look don't send me anything i'm a i'm a nerdy nerd i've got a complete setup at home already give me my vpn login details and i'm on yeah i don't need any equipment so there's that'll be a small thing um, but we, we've seen I mean, we've seen the proliferation of salaries has been happening for years like the last two years it's not I think COVID has accelerated I think the last well perhaps I see it as like more so there's a limit of the actual there's a lot of candidates but there's a limitation of talent and I think some of that is because the newer generation as I keep always saying don't see behind the curtain and the people we want need to know everything that goes into it. And perhaps that younger generation who've been in a job for one or two years where it's running on public cloud, they don't know how it all works. Yeah. And the people who do probably also have the knack to to know what the current market is doing. And this yeah. and demand do you there think is, demand higher. Yeah, there is so much there's so many places out there that are offering 
the correct or is what is the correct salary banding for yeah. for that role but what i'm seeing is the correct based on pre covid let's say yeah but there is so many who are yeah really going for the right people by offering and they're, they're offering the right money but their recruitment process might be is just as you know they they want the right person for that money whereas we're seeing we're not getting them people in because they're attracted by that number to begin with. So, cause I mean, like we speak of this all the time and like we reset our expectations in terms of salary banding, did our market research and kind of set, set them advertise the job walks away. And I feel like the points come in and this is, we're talking about two months later when maybe those bands need revising again, because it's already shifted. Do you think that's a, that's fair to say? In the last two or three months, we've already seen an increase in baseline salaries for different technical roles that we recruit for. Yeah, because it's probably an ongoing thing, isn't it? It's a, yeah. It's it's happening in loads of different markets. It's a you've got X amount of companies offering, let's call them silly salaries. Yeah. You get people. You get a lot more people coming out of their or willing to come out of their current jobs looking for these salaries. So you've got a lot more people in the pool to pick from. And they're being passed, as long as there's still a hint of these silly salaries in the pool, other companies are going to have to compete to get these people who are now looking for, yeah, for roles. And then it's a it's going to be an probably an ongoing cycle of there's silly salaries. I'm leaving my job to go and get one of them. Yeah. And those those salaries they're never really going to come down again, are they? No, it'll be like, difficult. It'll be, it'll be inflation that eventually yeah. rises to meet them. Yeah, it'll be difficult to um, to I ever. Suppose, how, how's it going to stop it? Unless, unless there's a everyone everyone comes together, well, well, which has never happened in the the history of the planet Earth. See, the issues <laughs> that we have as a business is we, a lot of the prices that we give to our customers were set five years ago. Back when I'll be honest with you, we were probably paying twenty-five to thirty percent less per engineer, if not probably more. Um, but it's kind of the, and we we touched on it briefly before. But like the, do you think it's possible to for what we do to? Would you think, how, what weighting should we give to hiring people that we develop? How important is that? Can we? Do you think we should be putting more attention into developing? I mean. I've kind of, I think we tried it and it, I think I, it's fair to say like it didn't really work that well, but I, I don't think we had really good foundational people in the business back then. I can, are we at a point now where actually where we've got a strong foundational team? Could we? Uh, I would love to recruit like graduates yeah. or apprentices because they're the, they're, they are, they're in that mindset already of the one, the learning and the, that person yeah. who learns like, I'm, I'm not a, um, educational learner i like to learn on the job yeah i'm the same um but i don't rate what no there's no there's no uh, there's no university courses on windows xp well yeah (laughs) there's no there's no courses on hyperconverging infrastructure see our latest episode yeah um 
they're not they're not learning that. Like, no, that's true. No. Devs, devs are coming out of university after doing you know what, what they do, um, the computer science <laughs> courses and stuff, and they, I don't know the ins and outs of them. I've never done a computer science degree, but I'm assuming theirs is a little bit more leaning towards what they're going to be doing. But is there some element of that that um, technology? at least in your sector, sort of moves on so fast that you couldn't go to university and learn hyperconvergence because by the time you come out of university, like it's, it's gone. Yeah, probably could learn a foundation. There's a lot of it that sticks. Networking's never going to... Well... No. Mm. The, uh, <laughs> <You> see, the, <laughs> the, well, the foundation, the, the, uh, the core of it, how it... Uh, the little bits of kit on either side might change other the, the protocols, yeah. but... Uh, how it all works is going to be around for a long time yeah. in, in terms of the, the basics of it. You could learn all that, which I'm, you know, they, they might do if there's a very particular course somewhere, but then it's a very small pool of graduates or apprentices yeah. that we're, we're looking for. And I think that's the, so if they were being taught the right thing, I got, this isn't on my CV, so I'm allowed to say it. I got two F's in IT at, at school because I was sat at home, you know, when my internet went down or it was slow or my PC was running slow. I was troubleshooting myself. I was building my own computers. I was doing stuff. Then I was going to school and they're like, this is how you use Microsoft Word. Yeah, it's just not engaging. This is not keeping me interested. It's not teaching me anything I'll need to know for an actual job. So do you think that the curriculum probably needs to develop to support people going into employment? But then I guess the issue then is the certification component becomes more critical because if the curriculum is now supportive, how do you how do you quickly ascertain if a potential employee is, yeah. has got what you're looking for? I'd like to go into a school and sit in a in an IT lesson and see what's actually being. I remember they were so boring. Yeah, I think I think and, I just learned about how to use Word and yeah, PowerPoint. Yeah, power, like, yeah it, that's that. So for me, like when I went to college, I was like really excited because the college course had a CCNA as part of it. And was just sold as like some form of advanced IT. I thought I'm going to really get to know technology here, and actually, it turned into just more Word and PowerPoint and Publisher. Yeah, and that wasn't really what I wanted. I wanted to learn technology, but I think technology is something you need to learn by doing. Yeah, and I think that's why apprenticeships are so good for technology. I, I did enough in my. I, I knew enough self-taught stuff to to. I left college after a year and a half of doing IT and I went and got a job on like a service desk and started working my way through and people came out of college that I went to college with three or four years later who were at like you'd built up to degree level I think they were at I got them interviews at where I currently was because it was a if somebody internally hands in your CV you instantly get an interview and not one of them got through the technical test so they did they'd done all the studying I'd went and got a job after a year and a half based on what I kind of was able to put down and buzzwords and actually be able to speak <laughs> about them. Yep. And again, it was for a, you know, a, an, an entry level kind of support role, which I got lucky on my CV. I think I've got a lot of name drops on there. Um, but yeah, I went and got a job and got in there and I don't think, I can probably think of five people off the top of my head that I still know from that college course and I know not one of them are working in IT. So mine, I, I I left after two weeks because it because I did the high school. I did like an advanced. He give it, he give it a real shot. <laughs> yeah, I really tried. Yeah, because uh, 
high school we did IT, like some sort of advanced IT and it was Word, PowerPoint and I guess it taught some foundational stuff but it wasn't really that interesting. And then I thought, right, I'm going to get the really interesting stuff now at college, get to college, do two weeks, quickly realise that it's a repeat of high school. And now there was some stuff in that course like the Cisco CCNA and perhaps some other things that we might have learned like the fundamentals of programming perhaps is like I think was one component of it. But that didn't really interest me because... I liked infrastructure stuff, not dev. That was just like what I was interested in. Uh, and it was on that that I, I decided to leave. But when I left, I was like, right, I'll get an apprenticeship. I'll get an apprenticeship in IT. Like back then, apprenticeships in IT were almost non-existent. They had this like training academy somewhere in Salford. So like, did, data, like IT, but it'd be like data well, processing. Guess what it was? Admin. It was stuff. working on vending machines that went into... Um, laundrettes i went to a job interview get there you know and uh like well, what's what's the role involved well, you're working on these machines that run windows and you're preparing them and like fixing them what do they do oh, well, part of vending machines in like uh laundrettes and hair salons and stuff it's like it's what's not really like it? it the touchscreen aspect of the the bit yeah, behind that I, I think so yeah like it wasn't a bit decent if you got free access to the machines so in terms of recruitment, do you think the businesses should be like specifically technology businesses looking for technology technology employees? Do you think they should be doing recruitment in house or using an agency or a bit of both? What's the what should they be focusing on to find the right candidates? I've actually noticed um, at least uh, at least coming up into this role. Uh, I started using LinkedIn a lot more yeah. for like finding roles and you can be a bit more direct with LinkedIn. Although I think even this role I've, I found for an agency um, and a lot of agencies go through LinkedIn now, but I think LinkedIn is, is a powerful tool for uh, for companies looking to hire direct yeah. potentially. It's in the company alone, though, isn't it? Like, it, it, I don't think we, I personally don't have enough time to sift through CVs that get sent directly to me. Um, please don't make me do it. <laughs> so, uh, so, so you think that the recruiter component that sifts the CVs that takes that out is worth it? If yeah, if you pick, I mean, pick the right one, you get a. There's obviously there's specific recruitment companies that work in technology and kind of know what they're do you think looking if, for themselves. So if you think about the, the recruitment percentage, which can be anything from like 15 to 20%, let's say it's the arbitrary worst case 20% and we're recruiting for all at you know, 25K. So we've got a five grand recruitment fee. Can we justify that recruitment fee by using the recruiter? In very simple terms i do not like recruitment fees okay i th- yeah i mean they've everyone's got to make a living they're doing yeah you know they're they're part of the job but yeah for i've never seen it from the other side i've never been a recruiter so i don't know what goes into it but from the other side it will always be like well you've somebody you've placed a job role somebody sent you a cv you've looked at it and thought yeah that could be good enough and you've passed it on see i know there's more re- there's, a, there's an issue with recruitment, which is the speculative nature of roles. So if you're a recruiter to, on the other side of the table, because I look at it and think, well, five grand, wow, that's, you know, for a 
25k so it's a massive amount like five grand shillets you know surely like that's the basic for a month of the recruiter plus possibly a portion of the commission payment for that role like i'm we are definitely probably overpaying at five grand to recruit somebody and yeah okay you know mileage may vary in terms of getting a lower percentage on the on the commission you know or on the the payment for the employee but i think the issue is that the reason that we're getting charged so much is because part of that recruiter's work is speculative so uh, an employer says i have five roles please go and find me someone they perhaps don't take that exclusive don't take a down payment they're now effectively at that point working on five roles for free but that employer could bin three of those roles only award one of their candidates from that particular recruiter for one of them and they could place the other one so they've there's a huge portion of their work that effectively everyone else is paying for that yeah. is speculative for them to get business yeah it's a harsh role then because we've i mean how much is our in terms of work has our recruiter done for us over the last what three months since i've been here probably a lot. we've not probably like sifting i, yeah. I imagine they've sifted probably over 200 cvs and unfortunately we've not we've not recruited anyone so the fee yeah is non-existent yet yeah. do you think so. there'll be a transition to more hybrid where there's an element of like a recruiter component and but we're perhaps seeing more of the cvs so we're not we're not seeing the full 150 applications or whatever it might be we're maybe seeing a subset of those maybe 15 20 yeah maybe there's i was talking about technology there's some maybe there's a better way of doing something more automation possibly somewhere that yeah you know can kind of we're living in an ai world aren't we just about okay. is there something that can do that part of it to take either making internal recruitment a little bit easier taking a little bit of the non-paying work offer off yeah. a recruiter and making it a little bit more um you know easy for them they can then go out and kind of work with more people because a lot of their stuff is automated so yeah maybe there's a technology that a, makes I, the whole thing easier maybe people might be doing that and i just don't know about it because i don't work in recruitment but i've toyed with the idea of perhaps using part of that recruitment fee as a as a welcome bonus so like instead of if is there a way that we could pay half the fee or a quarter of the fee and enable us to have a sign-in on bonus for candidates to make us an attractive option at the point of offer. Because um, I'd love to be able to do something like that. And I'd, is, there, I'd, is there a retraction on that in, if they leave? I think they'd have to be, yeah. like it's. Yeah, have to be I think that's of... reasonable, because if it was a sizable amount of money, I think it's only fair that if someone then you know went on to leave within... I know I've only been months. here four hours, but I just don't think this is for me anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the money. I've already taken the other job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. As soon as the notification from his banking app pings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we hope you found this episode useful. Um, we got into the nuts and bolts of our recruitment process, the things that we've tried and kind of failed on, and giving you a little sort of insight for what's worked for us. Um, if you could leave a rating uh, and a comment, that really helps us out in terms of getting the, the show in front of more people. This has been Experts in Polo Shirts Does Recruitment. Thanks for tuning in from myself, Chris Piggott, Dean, Thank and you. Michael. Thank you.